Welcome to this month's edition of Rutten Radio. Rutten Radio is a once a month show with Father Paul Rutten, pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in Watertown, Father John Rutten, pastor of the Harrisburg Community, and Joe Rutten, professor and director of the Benedictine Institute for Leadership, Ethics, and Social Justice at Mount Marty College. Rutten Radio can also be watched by going to lambradio.com. Rutten Radio is being brought to you in part by discountcatholicproducts.com your one-stop online shopping experience for the Catholic community, and by Mount Marty College, preparing tomorrow's leaders in the Catholic Benedictine tradition. Join us now for a little faith, family, and frivolity as we go live to the studios with Rutten Radio. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're going to know something's up. (laughs) This is Father John Rutten. Uh, missionary priest in Harrisburg, host. South Dakota, uh, and we are missing our Lamb Catholic Radio, Rutten Radio host, Joe Rutten, and so I figured, you know, it's one of those things, you either get up to bat and you better hit a home run, <laughs> or you just like Bunt. undersell, so... Good salesman, undersell, over-deliver, I figure, you know, good morning, everybody. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Good morning! <laughs> da da right. So... Father Paul Rutten is here with us. My brother had him uh, over at the rectory, first guest at the rectory in Harrisburg. We had a fantastic time. Um, and I'll we be have. I'll review on Yelp uh, for all those that would like to know how it went. <laughs> there were no bed bugs. No, no bed bugs. <laughs> that would be a tragedy. Nobody would ever want to come to the rectory at Harrisburg anymore. Word got out that there were bed bugs. Uh, we have a special guest today. Absolutely. We are super pumped. It has been a long time in preparation. It's one of those things that little by little it happens. You don't even realize it's happening. The spirit works like that. And all of a sudden, we had an opening one day, and we just thought, who should we bring? And we were throwing around family members. We were throwing around friends. And then this name came. And all of us instantly knew we were in need of Alex High. Alex High, welcome to Rutten Radio. Uh, the show is now yours. Go. It's not mine. Awesome. Yeah. Am I close enough to my face here? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, so everybody. Not everybody. Kind of people already know about us. Paul's at Immaculate Conception in Watertown. They don't know about you. Uh, give us just a brief little intro. Who are you, and what do you enjoy in life? Uh, I'm Alex. I was born 93, May 93, May 21, 1993. That's North nice. Memorial Hospital. I graduated uh, high school in <laughs> North Memorial? Yeah, in oh, Robbinsdale, not- Minnesota. Okay. We lived in Maple Grove at the time. Ah. Um, what else do you want to know? Uh, I live in Sioux Falls. Yeah. What, uh, what are your interests in life? Because you wouldn't be here if you weren't an interesting person. Uh, well, we don't what know do about you, that. What are you um, interested in? What are I, you interested I like in? Batman. I like writing. Um, I, yeah. Do you ever Bat- write about Batman? I have on occasion, yeah. Mm. I used to write for a website called uh, thebatmanuniverse.net. Really? Yeah. 
Hmm. Is it still going or did it go defunct as a result of your writing? No, it, oh, I can't believe I just said that. It'd be, you'd think we were good friends. It's still going. I, uh, in spite of your not writing. Whatever. Yeah. I, cho- I chose to leave it my own accord. Okay. <laughs> there was no other way to hit that ball. It just came right across the plate. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you are a writer and that's a large part of reason that. Uh, you're here. Well, Tell and, us. and also I think because Alex is probably the most active listener <laughs> to our radio show. That would he's be He's tweeting, absolutely he's making true. comments, he's telling us what he likes or doesn't like. When yes. we what, have I ever said Star I didn't Wars, like Star anything? Trek? Oh yeah, Star yeah, Wars. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I remember these okay. things. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember those yeah. things. Well, yeah, so therefore my attack really And was. we missed him last month. We yeah. did miss him. Because we noticed like there was no tweets, there was no notice. We were like, where did Alex go? Yeah, I overslept that morning, and I forgot you were on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't do... So we, we, we could, you on yeah, we so could. that you wouldn't oversleep and miss our show. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that uh, this morning, too. Uh, we could really use uh, someone to market us better. <laughs> Are you looking for any side jobs to make sure... What does it usually, pay? Usually someone from St. Lambert sends me a message two days before. <laughs> when is Rhett Radio on? Um, it doesn't pay. I'd offer a mask for you once in a while. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so you write. Uh, tell us how you ended up. Because for a young person, today in the world of tweets, right, you were born in like 2015. Is that what you said? 93. 93. Okay. So uh, for someone your age, you've been on a phone your whole life, right? We uh, Parents out there are, are all, you know, we're nervous that people don't know how to write grammar or whatever the case might be. How does someone your age fall into a career of writing uh accidentally um i got my undergraduate degree in business and as i was finishing up uh that degree i thought to myself you know i don't really want to go into business and so i spent a summer doing basically nothing feeling bad about myself because i didn't really have anything going on in my life and then uh, Eric Wibben, my, one of my really good friends, seminarian for the Diocese of Sioux Falls, got me a gig writing for his uncle's... Uh, his uncle is the sports editor of a newspaper in Warren, Arkansas, and which is the hometown of Minnesota Vikings wide receiver uh, Jarius Wright. Oh. So we got to cover him a little bit. So that football season, I wrote articles about the game and got to go to a few games and sit in the press box. And as I'm sitting in the press box that first game, uh, feeling like I didn't belong, I thought, well, maybe I could try writing. And tried writing a novel that didn't work, and I think I kind of settled into writing about Catholic things. And nice. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you write now? Uh, well, I have a book coming out on St. Eugene de Mesnot. Really? On who? St. Eugene de Mesnot. Have you not heard of him? This I, I we were like last night, Alex. Wallet, we, yeah. I was like fearing. I'm like, oh my gosh, this show I'm going to be put in charge of. It's totally going to be a failure. Everybody's going to want Joe back. What are we going to do? And look at this. We were trying to find things to talk about. We're hey, going to talk about Saint family. Eugene today. It's our family. <laughs> the patron of dysfunctional families and families in crisis. <laughs> Alex, I thought you were going to be the first non-family member here. Are you sure you're not a family member? <laughs> I mean, we could do some research to see. We're going to have to talk about this. Okay, so <laughs> we're coming back to St. Eugene. Okay. Everybody, if you want to go and do a little, uh, bring up his picture, it's St. Eugene de Mazenod. M-A-Z-E-N-O-D. You look him up. 
Eugene Demesno colon a saint for today on Facebook. That's the page I run anyway. All right. All right. So you are doing now, you're writing a book. What else? I'm now writing a book on, uh, it's working title is The Intersection of Catholicism and ADHD. So uh, how having ADHD can affect your faith life and the struggles it uh, causes and how you can overcome that. And like when they sit, say, sit quietly for an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah, that that's a little difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I do it once a week, but it's... Uh, that would be challenging. Uh, yeah. And uh, how do you make a living off of this? I, it's, I am also a substitute teacher at the junior high and the high school, and I'm also oh. looking for other opportunities oh, great. to make an income. Great. Now, what would you say in this journey has been most helpful to you? Uh, because you've talked, you've talked a little bit about being in some difficult situations, right? Not you get out of college, you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people feel like that today. If you talk to a lot of just everyday average young people, there's a lot of where am I going? What am I doing? I'm kind of lost. Uh, what's been helpful to you in your circumstances? Uh, my faith life, I think, has been huge. Not if I didn't have that aspect to fall back on, I think I would have kind of fallen into that oh life is pointless and meaningless and there's nothing really going on and would have caused some mental health issues and mm. can you speak of a uh, time in your life maybe that's you know this isn't jerry springer or anything like that so uh but some time that you can kind of put some flesh to what you're speaking of maybe a time where you were down at the radio station and or down there and wondering why you got down there and uh sort of you, how your faith was activated Repeat the question? Yeah. Uh, can you give an example of when you were in a tough spot and faith oh. was really helpful to you? Um, I, I think uh, that whole summer where I just out of college and, and didn't know what else to do, I had nothing, nowhere to be in the morning. So mm. I, I would leap until like 10 12 in the you know and so it it kind of got to the point where i was like i'm not really doing anything this isn't very productive uh so i started going to 8 a.m mass and that that gave me a reason to get out of bed in the morning um and then holy spirit you know has that chapel right next to it so i would go from 8 a.m mass to the chapel i spend like my first 90 minutes of the day in prayer and so it was it was nice to have that comforting uh, aspect of the faith as mm-hmm. I, you know, had nothing else going on, you know. Was the faith something that had uh, been already activated in your life and something that was important to you at that point? Yeah, I had a kind of conversion moment right before my junior year of high school. I, uh, since I, I was really, really young, I just remember staying up late and like thinking about the deep questions in life. Like I reasoned my way into believing in God when my age was in the single digits. Uh, just because of like the way my brain worked. So hmm. uh, right before my junior year of high school, I was just kind of pacing around my room one night. I don't know how I got on these thoughts. and But anyway, I kind of stopped as I was pacing, and I asked myself, do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior? Yes. And then I asked myself, if you believe those things, why aren't you doing everything you can do to get to heaven? And, like, from that point on, my life changed. It's a junior in high school? Uh, just before my junior year of high school. 
Yeah, that's probably not what my questions were. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, are we going to Ogaboji this weekend? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's the party? <laughs> oh, it's at my house. <laughs> so this is fascinating, Alex, because most people have a conversion experience. When you said conversion experience, the first thing I thought of was Steubenville. No. So you had a, Never a conversion serious or conversion through a very different uh, uh, way. How has that impacted your life as a young adult and the way that you live your faith uh, and propose the gospel to other people? Well, I I kind of like to refer to myself as a Vulcan Catholic, Vulcan as in Spock from Star Trek, because I basically reasoned my way into taking the faith seriously, and so those moments where I don't feel the faith necessarily, I still know that it's logical to live the faith life. Hmm. Do you think that maybe that way is more reasonable? Uh, in my mind, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I know there are plenty of people out there that don't think that way, uh. and they need the more uh, touchy-feely, uh, that's probably a bad way of putting it, but Experiential, like the, maybe. Or the emotional side of the faith. Yeah, would uh, would you say that that it uh, <laughs> at any point though your way of walking it ended up being emotional too? Yeah, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, you know? Like when like the emotional side like does come into my faith life, it's kind of weird because I'm not used to that part of I'm not used to like crying in prayer. Oh, and that yeah, when that ever happens to me, it's a little weird. Mm. Sure. Yeah, great. Well, Alex, hi. We are blessed to have you with us. Uh, look forward to the journey this morning. So, Father Paul, tell yes, us what's yes, going Father on in your life. We're only gonna we're we're not gonna do a huge introduction. So, just a oh. little uh, what's going on in life. Where you, you know, at? it's the beginning of religious ed, faith formation, CCD, whatever we call it. Uh, was last week, so the parish was hopping on a Wednesday, which is today. Uh, School's up and running. Oh, big news. Uh, Immaculate Conception School in Watertown was named a Blue Ribbon School. Yeah. Just like a Warman High School a few years ago. So that was announced uh, last week. Uh, we all sat around trying to get the internet to work <laughs> so we could watch it. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> the, the Blue Ribbon School that can't get the internet to work. No, it was the government website that crashed. Oh. Yeah. So, oh. so we went to YouTube. Uh, and YouTube saved the day. Huh, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> isn't that a, that, should, that could be a whole show? The private enterprise saves the government <laughs> enterprise. <laughs> so, well, great. Well, we. Father uh, John, uh, what are you thank up you. to? I, I, that sorry, was like, sorry, no, sorry, that was I, great. I, I was wondering if there was anybody on the pitcher's mound or not. And no. I thought, well, that we might have to put the ball on the tee and I'll play <laughs> by myself. Uh, All right. So, Father so John, what are you I up to these days? I am in my third month of missioning in Harrisburg, South Dakota, and it is exhilarating. Um, we have many highs and many lows. We started religious education, and then we started an adult formation program on Sunday. And by God's providence, we, uh, are, we're going to record them all. So I'm really excited. We're going to record the sessions. They're just like so 30 So I don't minutes. have to do anything? Yeah. <laughs> yes, just, you will have to. I can to. just borrow your... I did think about that I as I sat videos, there and looked like at them. I for thought, the Lent series that you've done. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> why, why try to do something when it's done well the first time? So I... 
thought about that as we were doing it. We're recording it. The camera's out there. There's, I don't know, maybe 40 people there or something. And I'm thinking, okay, if these, this is going to be recorded and put online next week, there's going to be nobody here. Oh. Like, why would you stay then? And then I thought, well, we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll come. And then I thought, ah, they have to come because their kids are in religious education right <laughs> now. <laughs> but we did it because we took seriously the needs a couple of things. Uh, life just spoke to us that way. I've growingly realized mo- social media is a place in which real things can happen. Yep. So it's good to take it seriously. Uh, to know that Alex High is like connected to this world gives me an insight that if I'm not in this world, there's a whole demographic that I just am like ignorant of. But our religious ed teachers were disappointed because they couldn't be... I told them I was going to do oh, this, and they yeah. were like, well, then we can't be in it. So there was this thing that if they helped teach, then they felt like they weren't. Yeah. So um, I said, we'd do it. Like Within a couple of weeks, somebody showed up and was like, oh, I, so-and-so does it. So I met with them, and they got it all set up. Well, I also am aware we spend money in parishes on so many things... And we don't really think about how many people are influenced by it. And then we expect volunteers to bring their cameras and to bring their lights and to bring all these things for the things that would impact tons of people. And so I'm thinking, if we can get the camera, the tripod, the recorder, the sound, all of that stuff for under $1,000, we pay $1,000 to get form.org. And I don't know how many people watch any of that stuff. Uh, I thought, we need to own this stuff. So we did a test run last week oh, okay the guy came in yesterday to look at it all and do it and and then he had this list of stuff uh within 20 minutes god put somebody in then i'm thinking i'm like how are we gonna pay for this we don't have any money we run a deficit we don't have a, as you know paul you slept yeah. on yeah. <laughs> paul slept on an air mattress last i'll be night. donating to the uh directory fund <laughs> If anybody out there would like to make sure Father Paul doesn't sleep on an air mattress next month, you could send your check to... I have a guest room. Oh! Uh, ah, you got it. Could sleep in the Batman room. Oh, <laughs> even, even better. <laughs> I want to sleep in the Batman room. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, long story short, within literally minutes, someone crossed my path that provided $1,000. Wow. It was incredible. So we're going to record those. So that's really exciting for us in Harrisburg that we'll be able to offer this sort of formation uh, online and through an electronic means. Now I just need somebody who can uh, start a YouTube channel and do all those things because I don't know anything. (laughs) So that's the life of Father Well, when you find them, uh, ask if they have a brother or sister. And. That lives in Watertown. (laughs) For all of you who live in new developments, my gosh, the crickets and the bugs. <laughs> I never realized like when you're in a new area there's a lot of critters out there. <laughs> yes, there Man. So that that let's let the critters of the dark start chirping. We're going to take a break. See you in a minute at Lamb Catholic Radio.
Your family is depending on you. Your family is looking to you to make sure they are safe, protected, and taken care of. Knights of Columbus Insurance offers the protection they need, whether it's term life or whole life, long-term care insurance, disability income insurance, annuities, retirement planning, estate planning, or an insurance analysis. Please call Jason Lures at 605-270-3463 or Heath Dickelman at 605-351-7978. Knights of Columbus Insurance. One of the great ways that Discount Catholic Products has changed my life is that I have a much deeper connection to my Catholic faith and I have become more confident in my faith. Hi, this is Megan Dolly, owner of DiscountCatholicProducts.com here in Harrisburg, South Dakota, and I get to help people on their faith journey. I handle prayer cards, medals, books, and all kinds of sacramentals every day. And in doing that, I can't help but grow in my faith. And we want to help our customers do the same thing. Find us online at DiscountCatholicProducts.com. A stiff neck that is very painful is a common condition called torticollis. It is caused by an underlying misalignment of the neck bones pinching the nerves that cause muscle spasms and pain. Dr. Mark Hagen with Hagen Chiropractic Clinic in Sioux Falls treats this condition. Dr. Mark is located at 14th and Cliff, six blocks north of Avera Hospital. Hi, this is Dr. Mark Hagen with Hagen Chiropractic Clinic. Don't say ouch, call me at 361-OUCH. Homelessness affects families, men, and women all across the state of South Dakota. This is Chad Campbell with the Bishop Dudley Hospitality House, and I'm asking for your help with our annual A Night of Hope for the Homeless event, October 19, 2017. I ask that you consider being a sponsor of this event so we can continue to provide safe, secure, temporary emergency shelter for our neighbors that need it the most. You can donate and learn more online at bdhh.org. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you and your loved ones.
And now back to the Rutten Brothers. Here's Joe Rutten. <gasps> oh my gosh. I can't believe it. <laughs> I get one opportunity to be in charge, and I'm identified as Joe Rutten. Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you know I've had 39 years of this problem? I, I just was telling somebody the other day. They were, I think we were, at, uh, we were at the funeral for Tina Cannon, a classmate of mine, uh, God rest her soul. And so all of our classmates were all there, and... Um, and uh, some, I can't remember what happened, but I admitted to somebody. I said, actually, it's really surprising. In the last couple of years, I think I've started loving my brother. It's miraculous. <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know. This is like something's happening. Uh, so I'm actually okay now. I can deal with him getting the stage. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome back <laughs> <laughs> to, to Rutten Radio. Uh, this is Father John Rutten from Harrisburg, South Dakota. Father Paul Rutten from Watertown. Alex High. And Alex High. Not Heiss. a priest. No. Not a priest. Layman. Author extraordinaire. Speaking of works of... Mm, I don't know what you would call it, I guess. I'm just lost. I was going to try and transition from writing to movies. Uh, we had decided to watch the movie Lion. Correct. And give a little uh, synopsis and review of it. So... Uh, for those of you that watched it out there, have seen the movie Lion, uh, not The Lion King, which is what came up over and over again looking yeah. for it, but Lion, um, if you haven't, you can find it on uh, Netflix. So why don't... But Father warning, Paul, there you, may be spoilers, so if you're trying to watch the movie, uh, you might want to just oh, stop yeah. listening for yeah. a second. It's all going to be spoiled in a minute. Yeah. So Great. Paul, Father... <laughs> Yeah, so I'm trying to think exactly when somebody had recommended it to me, uh, and I was on a long plane flight, so and it was an option, so I watched it. Uh, it's just a, a fascinating true story movie about a little boy who gets lost in India. Uh, he gets on a train uh, and falls asleep and wakes up two days later, or two days later gets off the train <laughs> in a whole new part of India. Uh, and it doesn't really speak the language uh, and doesn't really remember exactly where he's from or can't pronounce where he's from. Uh, and so he's now lost. Uh, in a country uh, with lots of lost children. Uh, mm. Lots of children, you know. And, and so it begins this trek then of, of him going through life, uh, trying to stay safe in the midst of it all. Great. Alex, uh, what struck you most about the movie when you were done watching it? What struck me most? Yeah. How disappointing the writing was. Oh. Um, it, it won a BAFTA for Best Adapted Screenplay, which blew my mind because mm. it was just poorly written. Uh, first half of the movie is him as a kid. And then, so the main character, the Dev Patel, doesn't show up until an hour into the film. And the movie is about him finding his family back in India. And that doesn't start until there's 45 minutes left in the film. It's a two-hour movie. It's an hour and 15 minutes before the plot actually starts. Mm. And while he's doing this search for his family, there are flashbacks to him as a kid. So why did we have the hour of him as a kid in the first place? Start the film when he gets adopted and then quickly move into him as an adult. And then you have 
two hours of him as an adult trying to find his family and doing flashbacks at the same time. It, it was just a poorly balanced film and the plot mm. structure was all off to me. It's a great story and acted well. Like It would have been a better movie had they messed with the timeline a little more. Probably makes it even more difficult when you see a great story and you think, my gosh, this could have been like on the, the minds of so many people or it could have been such a greater uh, dissemination if it would have really struck at the heart of people that they would have responded to it. Um, that's inter- We're going to have to come back to that, but I'm always I'm fascinated by why sort of Hollywood industry or all of the movies have become un interesting to people in a way and it's sort of an industry that's going by the side and people are moving in a different direction and I wonder if there's something about this here that they aren't really looking at what you know if you can make a movie like this and spend that kind of money and miss something like what you're talking about <laughs> what are they missing in total uh, in the industry but um, what would you say uh, that you enjoyed about the movie or that it was that you found I, I thought it was a really good story, very emotional. Um, we saw a lot of good things uh, in the way it was the main character was portrayed, uh, especially when he was doing that search and he was you know losing connections with the people closest to him, his girlfriend, his mom, his adopted mother. He lost those close relationships because he was so obsessed with being on Google Earth every night trying to figure out where he's from and mm-hmm. and so like that was that was a really the way they worked with that and they showed the emotion there and like seeing his mother fall apart and seeing him become basically a zombie. Yeah. And like, that's the other thing is there were other parts, especially early in the film when they were doing the early stuff in India, like the background people they had, uh, there's this one scene where he's on that train and he's yelling and screaming for someone to let him off. And uh, the people there are just staring at him. They look like zombies. Mm. So like, that was brilliant acting mm-hmm. by somebody whose name maybe will be in the credits somewhere, but people aren't going to know that person. And I thought the little kid that was playing uh, him as a young kid, like he did really well. <laughs> yeah. And there were like scenes where he, would ha- he didn't have any lines, but he was so good at portraying like, what was going on inside. Just, and like, that's, that's difficult to do as an adult actor, let alone a child actor. Excellent. I, um, I thought it was interesting how, so there's these, what Alex is referring to is he's on this search to find his family and he gets consumed. And what I, what I was struck by at the end when they start, so, and he doesn't want to tell his birth or his adopted mom what he's doing because he thinks he's going to hurt her. And at the end of it, I realized, like, we do these things of, like, trying to protect another person, and so we don't fill the whole thing in, or we make assumptions about another person, about how they're going to respond, about what's really going on in their life, and he then did the same thing. So there's this dual thing where he doesn't want to hurt her because he's making an assumption, and the mom doesn't want... or. I shouldn't say the mom doesn't want to hurt him, but he doesn't understand why the mom and dad did the adoption. So both of them are living out of this realization. They don't know the whole full story of what's going on. Uh, And in the end, they would have been so much better off if he just would have said what he was doing. And if it really plays into so much of our lives, if we just would live the fullness of what's happening and not be, 
I think we don't live it because we're afraid of something is going to happen or they're going to be disappointed or they're not going to be able to respond well. Well, maybe, but that could be a better good than if we keep this hiding or keep this protection. Uh, and I think about it in the spiritual life, you know, what does the evil one want us to do but keep secrets? You know, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. And we just build this huge mountain as if it's going to be this huge thing. And in the end, it'd just be a little hill. And there'd be people there to get us over the hill. Uh, so I was really struck by by that. Yeah, and I think also, as well, in his desire to not hurt her, he did hurt her. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so that reality, like, we're, we don't want to do something and, and we end up doing it anyways. Uh and so that ability to just trust uh, the other person uh, and trust that God will, will take care of those details in the midst of it all. Also, I think in that, the, the one challenge, you know, and, and I don't know how many people would feel this, but to sort of feel untethered, you know, there was kind of that sense like because he didn't know where he was from, because he didn't really know, he, he struggled in a sense of his identity. Who am I? Where am I? What am I about? And it was almost like this quest. To, he like until he figured it out, he didn't know who he was, and just that, you know. And so I I see that sometimes in people, they're they're struggling for an identity, uh, and and they're looking, and only ultimately only God will provide that authentic identity. Like only only God can help me understand exactly why I am here. Uh, why this moment, why this place, why this, you know, uh, and yet we search and search and search in all these other places uh, to, to discover who am I, what am I about, you know, uh, and that ability to come back and say, but have I really brought it to God and, and said to God, you know, here's my struggle, here's my challenge, uh, this is what I don't understand, you know, uh, and instead, sometimes I think people live their faith life without wanting to offend God. You know, so I, I don't bring this to prayer. I don't, I don't really share things. So I just go to church, I say my prayers, and I go home, and I'm a faithful person. Well, not, not really. Like, I need to be in relationship with God, and I need to, to say, well, what, what is this all about? Why, why this way? Why, why did he get on a train? You know? Well, I don't know. But he did. Yeah, there was that interesting part. At the beginning, he kept saying, the, the little boy was saying, uh, like, I need a savior, I think is what he was saying, or someone save me, or he was like running, where am I, like someone help me, or he was like trying to rattle the doors. And uh, there, um, I'm almost sure he said something. I was struck how he was saying he needed help and thinking, ah, like he needs more than the help he thinks he needs. <laughs> and then as this movie plays out, you realize it. He needs more than just meeting his mother again. Because, I mean, he's going to meet his mother or he's going to meet his family, his brothers, his brothers. Uh, but in the end, then what? So he's still going to find himself in other circumstances. He's now going to see that he was wrong, right? There was the moments when he realized, like, he uh, didn't understand the full fullness of what his mother adoptive mother had done. But it was interesting to me that when he did recognize those things, that's when he was moved. Like he was moved to then, uh, uh, well, I don't know exactly how it all transpired, but after, after he sort of recognized this, it sort of like was this energy or this inertia that 
cost him again to do it, but it was more like out of a love than it opened up as opposed to like closed him in and closed people off, I guess was the thing is. Um, the, uh, I'm curious about, so I, I'm assuming that these people are Hindu or something. There's no real dynamic of faith. It never says anything really about faith in there. Um, he kind of makes those gestures at, at the, a couple of the different shrines in those times, which is what indicates to me. Um, at the end of it, there's the quote, uh, I think the mother writes it, that happiness was in her heart, the happiness in her heart was as deep as the ocean, which I found fascinating, that this experience for her really was something she couldn't, explain except in a way that everybody understands i mean everybody would understand that statement wherever whatever country you live in or come from um and it's kind of like if if i'm watching this movie as a secular at that moment i'm thinking that's all you need like what does jesus have to do with human life at that point because most people are going to watch this movie and then at that point they're going to be like yay that's it this is like the end of this is the best thing in the whole world what does Jesus have to do with this? Are you asking us? Both. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. See how, see how this works, Alex? How? Because oh, yeah. this is a real movie. So, mm-hmm. like, what, you know, because we can, because the other option is just say, oh, yeah, well, the Hindus and the Christians and Buddhists and we're all just like everybody's wants this experience to stand before the ocean. What does Jesus have to do with Wow, uh, I didn't know we were gonna. We we said we weren't gonna do stump a priest today, but I think I just <laughs> stump the host. And you can think about it if you want. We can. Do you have? Do you have thoughts? No, I mean I have are some thoughts. Just, yeah, I have some thoughts, but I'm really curious as to like when I watch this movie, especially at the end when she says, "My like the happiness in my heart is as deep as the ocean." Like that's the experience. I mean, right there, that's like what people are looking for. Well, okay, well then where does, what's, <laughs> how does Jesus? Is that it? Yeah, I guess I, I would go back in a sense to, to what I had said before in that reality that ultimately we only in Christ will we really discover who we are. Uh, and so he didn't he didn't have Christ from what we could see but not only that he was lacking in in what we would say is part of our identity where do I come from I mean everybody asks that where are you from well he doesn't even he doesn't even know where he's from like he can't remember he's like but I know there's a water tower uh you know and I know there's a train tracks and uh and so that the the ability in a sense to be able to to say if stripped of everything, would Christ still give me an identity? I mean, is Christ really for me my identity? You know, this kid had it all ripped away. Now, again, seemingly God entered into his mother's life in a way that she knew something deep. But how easy it is for us to, to allow our identity to be built up by all these other things. And to really, the, the ability to say, if everything was taken from me, would I still, would Christ still be the thing that, that gets me moving and allows me to, 
to carry on. I mean, you think about that poor mother uh, whose son just disappears, you know, and she has to live with this wonder, you know, every day. When, when will I see my son again, you know? Yeah, I think uh, the line from the gospel, the truth will set you free. It's like finding the truth in our existence is what's going to bring the peace and the joy that we're looking for. Mm. And uh, finding that in Christ, and in the case where she didn't really find it in Christ, but she found found the truth. And she she may not realize like she found a bit of Christ in that, but I think it's there. It's uh, it's uh, learning more about you know your life and who God made you to be and who how He made you. It's finding more about yourself. And you may not realize you're encountering Christ, but Christ is in all of us. So in encountering more about yourself, you encounter more about Christ. In a way, does that make sense? Did I, yeah. did I preach yeah. heresy at all? Yeah. No. Okay. No. And Dr. Bergwald will let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think this is really beautiful. Do you guys see? This is like we're right at we're we're right at the point that that the world doesn't understand Christianity in a way to look at this reasonably, and so we we can say like all of this stuff is stripped away, and he comes to this identity. I'm searching for who I am. Well, even in the end, uh, he needs something more is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when he comes to that something more, but who will f say the, the more? Someone needs to come to him with the more to speak the name, to say there is, there is this other, what you were ultimately looked for, because they don't show the movie then for the next 20 years. Eventually the guy is going to have another drama in his life. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we all, <laughs> and, and at some point he would see, ah, I had the experience of being as deep as the ocean, but that went away. What is my real identity? And I, I think this reunion happened in what, 2012, 2013? Yeah. In real life, so that he's still probably adjusting to. Going on right now? Yeah. Isn't that something to think about? Like, this man exists yeah. in Australia, probably somewhere. And uh, yeah, I. I um, I think of it, the, the thing that provoked it was what you had said a minute ago about how you came to conversion was the questions, you know, and, and in the end, even once he finds his mom, he has all this stuff taken from him. And so he has to go on this search for the, who am I and where do I belong and how did I get here and things. Well, those questions are opened and then they're like answered through this reunion. In a sense, though, those questions are eternal questions. Those questions need the ultimate question that's opened up. He's gonna he's gonna have everything stripped from him when he's like taking his last breath, and those open up new questions of who am I, where am I from, <laughs> how did I get here, and in a sense the water tower or whatever these things are. I mean we have this like I don't want to call it a recollection like we existed somehow before, but there's this like something in us that's aware. There's something. I belong somewhere else. And in front of that, if we ask those questions. I think the, the challenge that most people would face is to meet somebody who asks and has 
found answers to those questions while still living in the world. You, you know, while still working for whoever they work for, doing their normal things and, and, and living. Uh, and, and in a sense, I think that's part of what Vatican II was calling about the, the role of the laity. You know, they expect Father John and I to ask these questions to live this way. You know, they always ask, you know, well, how did you know you were supposed to be a priest? And they want to know all these things. But how often do they ask Alex, hi, well, how did you know? You know, or, you know, that, that idea that we don't ask the average lay person about God's role in their identity. Uh, and, and to see that it's not just to be lived by priests and nuns, but it's to be lived by everyone. Like these, are, these are the questions that we all have to ask. And do we sit around and ever ask these questions of people? You know? Uh, and, and do we meet people who seem to be living it in a different way? And I think that's part of the life of the saint, is they do live life in a different way while still living life in the world. Like, they don't necessarily detach themselves from the world. Um, yeah, and and so in a real way, the, the boy in India, how old do you think he was when he got lost? Five or six. Needed you as a friend. Me? <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, well, maybe this is like, but the boy in India and Alex, I'm just saying this because you were, you said you were really young. You were in your single, when you were like asking these questions and living oh, this, yeah. like, you're not a priest. You're not some like mystical guru or something. You're just somebody that's human. <laughs> uh, and in front of that, then when you find Christ, you find something that animates you in a way different than if it were me and you. And they say, oh, well, of course, that's what he's supposed to do. That's like how he does it. Uh, but Alex High is here because he is a layman who has animated our faith. And I know being at St. Lambert, it was always impressive. Like, who is this guy that keeps coming to daily mass? <laughs> What's going on at him? And then that provokes in me the question, like, who are you? And wanting to figure out, like, there's something more here. Uh, and you then told me one day when I started asking you a few questions and things about someone that was very important in your life. So we are going to come back and we are going to hear about someone who was very important in Alex High's life. Before that, we're going to talk about the craziness in this world. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. When I was 12 or 13, <laughs> I started drinking occasionally and, and smoking marijuana daily. By the time I was 14, I was trying other things, pills and hallucinogens like mushrooms and acid. When I was 16 is when I started on meth. I'm Troy, I'm from Iowa. By the time I was 18, I was in prison. I robbed the drug dealer, it was a drug deal gone bad. Ended up spending five years of my life in prison. Meth was a recreational thing on the weekends. Still smoking pot on a daily basis. Getting my new business up and going. It started to be more than just a weekend thing. It ended up being a daily thing where I just had to survive off of it. My meth use had caused me into buying quantities of it, which caused the cops to follow me around and drive by my house. They were watching me. When you know it's time to quit, but you don't know how to begin, Call Tallgrass at 605-368-5559. You'll get your life back, and one you never dreamed was possible. 
One of the great ways that Discount Catholic Products has changed my life is that I have a much deeper connection to my Catholic faith and I have become more confident in my faith. Hi, this is Megan Dolly, owner of DiscountCatholicProducts.com here in Harrisburg, South Dakota, and I get to help people on their faith journey. I handle prayer cards, medals, books, and all kinds of sacramentals every day. And in doing that, I can't help but grow in my faith. And we want to help our customers do the same thing. Find us online at DiscountCatholicProducts.com. My name is Dr. Matt Hayes. I'm an orthopedic radiologist at Stanford Health. I completed my undergraduate degree at Mount Marty College. It doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, I was welcomed with open arms. I would give high school students the following advice. I wouldn't overlook a smaller school. A small school allows you to excel individually. One of the things that led me to excel was having professors that know every student's name. They personally know you. The professors truly judge their success by the success of their students. The ability of the professors to instill in them a desire to lifelong learn, community, and above all, faith. Mount Marty does this better than any school in South Dakota. There's a lot of professors that can teach, but there's only there's so few that can motivate you to go above and beyond what you even thought possible. Mount Marty College will instill in you an unshakable sense of faith that will allow you to lead and serve in your future and in your career. Seize the Day birthday segment is being brought to you by Dental Center in Aberdeen. Dr. Merksbauer and Dr. Meyer are committed to serving their patients, including providing information that helps them to make more informed decisions about their oral health needs. From all of us here at Lamb Catholic Radio, we'd like to wish a happy birthday to Deacon Joe at Platt and Gettys, Father Jim Frederick from Artesian Wessington Springs and Woonsocket, Father John Fisher at St. Agnes in Vermilion, Father Donald Glover, retired in Frederick, Father Doug Johnson, retired in Sioux Falls, Father Richard Baumberger at Arlington, Bryant and DeSmith, Father David Jans, retired in Aberdeen, and Father David Garza in Big Stone City. Happy birthday and many blessings on your special day. Seize the Day birthday segment has been brought to you by Dental Center in Aberdeen. Dental Center offers dental treatments that include porcelain veneers, dental implants, dental exams, and restorations. Did you know that Lamb Radio is 100% listener-supported? Join us in broadcasting the message of Jesus Christ through Eastern South Dakota by going to lambradio.com. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for October 4th. Today we celebrate St. Francis of Assisi. People of all faiths and none hold today's saint in high esteem. Francis took the gospel literally. He joyfully followed all that Jesus said and did without limit and without self-importance. Born into a prosperous Italian merchant family in the late 12th century, Francis longed to be a knight. Serious illness brought the young man to see the emptiness of his life as a leader of Assisi's frolicking youth. Prayer ultimately led him to a self-emptying like that of Christ. Francis gave up every material thing he had. For a time, he was considered wildly eccentric, and yet his sincerity and inner peace attracted followers who desired to join him in a life of prayer and active preaching of the good news. Two years before his death in 1226, at age 44, Francis received the stigmata, the real and painful wounds of Christ, in his hands, feet, and side. Today the Franciscan family encompasses congregations of men and women religious, third-order regular priests, and secular Franciscan men and women all claiming St. Francis as their spiritual father. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, 
saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Faithfully Departed is being brought to you by Paulson Monuments in Canton, South Dakota. We guarantee you will notice the difference. We would like to pray today for the repose of the souls of Wilhelm Knapp, Angeline Vignola, and Scott Westerhouse. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of the faithfully departed, through the mercy of God, Rest in peace. Prayers of the Faithfully Departed has been brought to you by Paulson Monuments of Canton, South Dakota. Remember a loved one, honor a friendship, create a legacy. You're listening to Lamb Catholic Radio on KSJP 88.9 in Ipswich, Aberdeen, KSTJ 91.3 in Hartford, Mitchell, and Yankton, 
and 104.3 Juan Diego Radio in Sioux Falls. And now back to the Rutten Brothers. Here's Joe Rutten. John Rutten. <laughs> Good morning, oh, Rutten God. Radio listeners. Father John Rutten, welcome you back with Father Paul Rutten and Alex High, layman extraordinaire, author, and all-around amazing man, here to fill up the next hour. We are here to fill up the next hour. Um, and we usually do a prayer on the other side of the one. So we're going to do a reverse prayer. And like God can do, we'll ask that he goes back a couple of minutes and then like gives the grace. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the gift and grace of life in this month of respect life for the lives of our grandparents and for those that are ill and those that are in need of respect and dignity and uh, compassion in painful or difficult times. We give thanks for the gift of family life of parents who uh, see hope in the world and therefore bring about children. And we pray for all of our children who have just begun school that they might find in their studies and in their friendships and in their teachers a desire to know and to love the world and the God who has created all things. We ask for blessings upon all who may feel at uh, loss, all who are without hope, and those that struggle and have difficulty this day. Might the Spirit of God enlighten their mind and heart and lift them to be on the Lord's way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It is crazy times. Yeah. The, the world was supposed to end, right? <clears throat> it was supposed to end on the 23rd. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> it was supposed to end in Saturday the 23rd. Yeah. Oh, really? But it didn't. Well, we uh, lost Tina Cannon, um, unfortunately, and buried her. And at the same day that we were preparing for that, uh, Las Vegas happened and I just or the day before and I just it was so crazy I just I couldn't even look at the articles I didn't even really want to know what was going on I just had to be in front of this funeral and services with Tina um, so once I got to look at it it sort of is quite crazy appalling sad and then I was at a meeting yesterday at the Harrisburg Chamber of Commerce and Adrian reminded us that this isn't just Las Vegas, like we're in Harrisburg. Right. This is very real for us. And you could see the whole place just sort of, and because I'm new, I didn't quite understand the profoundness of it all. And I thought the minute it happened, I thought this is the high school. This is Harrisburg high school. Um, What do we make of the world we live in today and these things that are happening? How do you guys respond to all of these difficult, tragic events? I, I for one, I'm just glad I have a faith life, something to make sense of all the senselessness. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, I think I mentioned earlier, without my faith life, I couldn't comprehend. I think I would go down that road of saying, well, life is pointless, life is meaningless, and mm. no point in going on. But there is a point in going on. I think also what it does is, is it reveals where or what people really think is going to to make it better. 
So, you know, I mean, how quickly now everyone's answer or cause is projected onto the situation. You know, if so-and-so, if we'd have this law or that law, if we'd have this person or that person, if this would have been done different, and we're just constantly trying to say, if we would have done something, if we would do this, then these things wouldn't happen. And that reality is the world is broken, and so without Christ, uh, ultimately, you, you, you can't, you're never going to be able to get to that point where you're going to feel safe or not even necessarily safe, but you can go without fear, you, you know, because you think about it and how many people go to concerts, you think of all the Garth Brooks concerts, you know, and then everybody's now thinking, if it's an outdoor concert, am I safe? You know, all of this. And in reality, well, where is Christ in my life? And, and am I following him? And, and in that, can I just trust that whatever happens, happens, and he's got it under control? Yeah, I, 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 we can live in, like, abstraction. So easy to just... But if I look at the circumstance I was in front of with Tina, right? Very unfortunate circumstance. And the family, when I'm looking at a real circumstance with a real person, I actually can't do what you're talking about or i could but you're in front of the response to it in a way that it's like well wait a minute no i can't it's not true that if this family had said this or done this or if they hadn't done this or if they had done this like you would be run out of the church if you proposed that that was the case if if we could have prevented this if this 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 no the truth of the matter is you you look in front of it all and you say no that's not going to help us get anywhere to like put blame in places no the truth of the matter is we are fallen like if if it didn't happen this way then then it would have happened maybe another way or um and so in front of the big things though it's easier to say this or that or this or that now maybe in front of it we should change things but it doesn't mean that uh there's an easy way out i think i only could come to that because I know Christ. Because of faith, I have a way to see these things in a different way. Otherwise, if I don't have faith, I either um, despair and I end up in the hopelessness and the meaningless and all of that, or I get active, right? It makes sense that we're active in front of that. We don't do something because the only other thing you do is like check out. Well, that doesn't seem very human. I mean, that's almost... There's something really inhumane if you watch all of this. Whether you have faith or not, if you watch the Las Vegas circumstances and you aren't saddened or aren't like, now that's there's something wrong there. But Christ allows me to look at it in a whole way where I say, we are fallen and it is getting worse and it is crazy, but we need an answer that's more than what the world has. You've, uh, Alex, talked a couple of times now about meaninglessness and purposelessness. Um, can you, as a, as a younger person, both in the world, you live in the same places everybody does and somebody in the church, speak to what you see among young people in that regard? Uh, is it different today or is it, uh, a, um, are young people living a meaninglessness that we should be, tending to or looking at in the church? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. I, I feel like my generation and young adults today are 
facing something that we've never really faced before in our nation's history. Uh, it's, I think some people started calling it like the quarter-life crisis. You get out of college and you think, oh, I get a job, and da, da 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 But you get out of college and a lot of people say, if I want to get a job, I need experience. But in order to, if I, if I want the job, I need experience. But how do I get experience if I don't have the job? And so a lot of people are struggling to find like their purpose in life and what they want to do in life and how they want to make a living. And so they fall into this sort of like, oh, I don't really know what's going on with my life. I kind of got the quarter-life crisis going on. And I don't know that's ever really been a thing before. And so I think, and I also think that uh, people of my generation uh, have this sort of uh, inner desire to do something that's meaningful. I don't feel like there's a lot of people my age that want to be a plumber. We need plumber being a plumber is a good thing, but I think they all feel like they're made for something great. Uh, and you could debate whether or not we were raised that way or whatever. But yeah, I think there is a desire uh, from this generation that's kind of different than generations past where they, they're looking for meaning and they're struggling to find it. Hmm. It's interesting. I was recently on uh, Creighton University's campus and they were talking about different colleges and Creighton has a very altruistic culture there. And um, and they were talking about another college campus that didn't have any faith and it was altruistic too. And it was sort of this maybe what you're talking about that that young people today in general are motivated by this need to be a part of something great. Um, to volunteer, to go on a mission, even if it's not religious-based, something inside them says, like, this is the way the world should be operating. Uh, how would you say you see it differently among people of faith that are your age? I, I feel like uh, people of faith my age do a lot better job of handling life's disappointments and, like, not getting where you want to be. I feel like the people that I know that are involved in the faith life, they, they have the faith to fall back on and help them make sense of stuff that doesn't wouldn't otherwise make sense. And mm. I feel like uh, when you have that faith life, especially like a Catholic faith life, redemptive suffering becomes like a thing that you recognize that mm. like suffering doesn't have to be meaningless. Mm. Now, Father Paul, you spent many years on a college campus and also you as vocation director know a lot of the young priests that are being ordained today and things. What would you say you've seen in them that uh, has both been different uh, but has also been a blessing in response to the different dynamics of our craziness? Yeah, I guess I think one thing that I sense is they seem to be looking for something that is incredibly solid uh, that everything is so transitory everything's malleable every, you can do anything All the, like, well what's timeless then like, what, what can I hold on to that's not going to necessarily change uh, right away or in an instant I mean you think about this like even now this next generation they're being told that even your, your sex is not solid like even that's malleable, and it's like, oh my gosh, like what? what so they're they're really looking for it, uh, and so 
the church has the ability to offer that, you know, uh, a 2,000-year tradition, uh, Jesus Christ, as we say, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, uh, all of that. And so that ability to somehow present in a way that isn't archaic, uh, but gives them a, a stability, a place to, to, to be a part of and to see that they're part of a bigger thing. I mean, think about, you know, as Alex says, you know, I want to do something that makes a difference. Well, every saint <laughs> made a difference. And mm -hmm. what does the church call all of us to is to be saints, you know? Uh, and, and to really, are we really offering that as a way of life? Like, not in a nice ideal way. Like, oh, be a saint. No, be a saint. <laughs> like a real one. Like one that wrestles with the questions and the struggles and the challenges and, uh, and discovers that Christ has to be there, but we don't want him to necessarily be be in charge uh, because you know I, I, yeah it's it, it's a challenge I, it, so speaking of this uh, Saint Eugene I ran across him one time in a retreat center I think somewhere that had a flyer and kind of piqued me but then uh, things up in, in Buffalo, Buffalo Minnesota yes and he, <laughs> I'm leaving it on the ground. I picked it up once. Yes, uh, I'm having problems here. Um, and then it, he really piqued me. And then never again until Alex, I met you. Uh, you had mentioned him. Um, so one day we're out in Harrisburg, and I'm putting some things on Facebook and uh, it, talking to different people about it, but not. Um, not really thinking a lot of people know what's going on except those that are just right in the vicinity. And all of a sudden, one day out of nowhere shows up this package. And I open up this package, and there's a f like a matted, like, you know, those picture frames they do where there's no frame, but it's just like, I don't know what you call it, but like, uh, really nice uh, image of St. Eugene. <laughs> that he keeps throwing and I'm in the like, ground. Number one, who is this? <laughs> and number two, who sent this? And there was no indication. And I kept thinking, I'm like, I think I remember talking to somebody recently about this, but who was it? <laughs> so, so and then I was like, I think it was Alex High. And then I asked somebody else, I, I said, did you send this picture? And they said, well, I didn't, but I think that's Alex High's favorite saint. So uh, I sent Alex a picture or a message. So. Alex thought that we needed a little uh, decoration, a little, the walls were pretty bare. So tell us, Alex, who this man is. St. Eugene. Uh, he was born in France, 1782. Uh, he was born in a noble family. So his, his dad was the president of the Court of Accounts of Provence, Provence being a region in southern France. Uh, he was born in Aix-en-Provence, uh, so, uh, born into wealth, uh, nobility, um, but this is 1782, and around 1789 was when the French Revolution kicked up. So he and his family went into exile. They went from city to city, because as France was going through the revolution, uh, they had uh, a food shortage in France, and the people who were taking over in France, decided that the solution was to invade other countries and steal their food. 
So uh, the French army starts uh, invading everywhere. And uh, as they're invading everywhere, that causes the people who fled France to have to move to it, avoid getting captured again. Uh, so St. Eugene's family started in Nice. Nice? Not Nietzsche, Nice. Anyway, uh, then he moved to Turin, to Venice, to Naples, then to Palermo. Uh, in while well, he was at Venice, uh, a parish priest uh, noticed that Saint Eugene was serving mass for his uncle and granduncle every day, who were both priests. And uh, he said he was worried about him because in Venice it could have he could have very easily fallen into vice there. So there's this young priest living across the way from uh, Saint Eugene's family, and uh, kind of cons kind of forces St. Eugene without really forcing him into becoming a sort of student of this Don Bartolo Zinelli. And so he studied every day with his priest. He'd wake up, go over to his house. They'd study all day. They'd go to Mass. They'd take an afternoon walk to visit other parishes. So he would learn academic things, spiritual things, and he really grew in virtue there. And that's like first time he felt a desire for the priesthood. And uh, also while they were in Venice, his parents uh, split up. His mother goes back to France. And at the time, a lot of nobles had a divorce, quote-unquote divorce, so that if someone had came to the marriage uh, from middle class, then they could go back to France, get a quote-unquote divorce, and they could reclaim all the property that was seized during the French Revolution. And then they could continue on living a sacramental marriage uh, and still have all their prior possessions. And that was the plan. However, when St. Eugene's mother got back to France, her family started uh, whispering and kind of... And anyway, that divorce became more than just a paper divorce and became a very real thing. And there was a deep separation between his parents. And uh, But then St. Eugene moves to Palermo. No, no, to Naples first, then Palermo. And in Naples, he had nothing to do, literally nothing to do. His family couldn't afford a tutor. He briefly had a German tutor, but he died, and they couldn't replace him. So he had no books to read, nothing to study. So he literally sat in his house for an entire year doing nothing. Uh, and then he kind of lost the spark of faith he had in Venice. And then he moves to Palermo, uh, where he's adopted, quote-unquote adopted, into this uh, noble family there, the uh, Duke and Duchess Canizzaro. And uh, really enjoys hanging out with all the nobles in the social scene there and uh, starts referring to himself as a count, even though that's not a title his family ever had. Uh, but he felt this strong desire to be notable, to be in the nobility. Then his mother calls him back to uh, France and his parents fight over it for several months. And then he goes back to France and his dad stays in Italy. So he's separated from his dad for a while. He moves in with his mom and her family, and very different environment from when he was living with his dad and his uncles. And uh, that caused some turmoil. And when, but when he moved back to France, he wanted a good job, a good wife, and to really invest in the social scene there. Uh, couldn't find a job, couldn't find a wife, and the social scene left him feeling empty. So he kind of had that idle youth, that quarter-life crisis that we were talking about just a little bit ago, trying to figure out what the heck do I do with my life, and... And he starts to turn back to the church and gets involved with uh, a little bit of prison ministry and 
he rediscovers this vocation, uh, ends up going into the seminary, becoming a priest. And when he gets ordained, he show, uh, after serving as a, on the staff of his former seminary, uh, again, French Revolution kind of caused like the entire staff to be let go. So he uh, and a couple other seminarians, just right after they get ordained, become the seminary staff for a little bit. And once he feels like he's served his duty there, he goes back to his diocese. And the bishop that was overseeing the diocese asked him what assignment he wanted, because as a son of nobility, he could have asked for and probably received a good assignment. Uh, Boy, that would have caused some tension between the classes. And if he had gotten a lesser assignment, that could have also caused some tension between the classes. The nobility saying, oh, he should have gotten a better assignment. So what he... And he, but St. Eugene felt called to serve the most abandoned. So he asked the bishop to not give him assignment so that he could serve however he saw fit. And the bishop, of wanting to avoid that class conflict, said okay. And so he uh, starts preaching to the poor, which no one had ever really done. And he was preaching at a time that was convenient for them and in a language that they could understand, something that hadn't been done. Uh, and then he starts getting involved in youth ministry, prison ministry, and serving all these other people that are abandoned. Then, while he was uh, serving as a chaplain in a prisoner of war camp, he catches tuberculosis and almost dies. And he realized that that near-death experience made him realize he can't do this alone. So he founds the Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, uh, and then he's later named Bishop of Marseille. And has, yeah. So what? Uh, thank you. I, I'm curious what it looked like for him to bring the gospel to these people, like really concretely. I guess I'm always curious about what that actually is. When we just say like shared the gospel or taught the gospel or brought, like what was he doing that? was awakening these people or was helping these people or maybe it didn't help these people but maybe he lived something that was helpful to him in later generations um can you say something about that like, yeah when he was with them was he just wounding you know wrapping wounds and um he uh he he wanted he noticed that uh no one was preaching to the poor and he thought well you know they're christians too and uh his whole big thing was the gospel needs to be known by everyone and needs to be taught to them in a way they can understand. And so he was noticing that all the times for religious instruction didn't work for the working class people. So he started preaching uh, in Lent of 1813, these series of lectures and sermons that were offered early in the morning before they all went off to work for the day. And he spoke in Provençal, which was a language no one speaks anymore, but it was the language that the common folk spoke. And uh, he luckily had a nanny when he was young who spoke Provençal. And so he kn- knew Provençal and was able to preach that. And one of the things he said uh, in his first uh, uh, homily of these series was uh, he spoke about their dignity and he was saying, okay, here we go. Okay, 
poor of Jesus Christ, afflicted, wretched, suffering, sick, covered with sores, all you who misery oppresses, my brothers, my dear brothers, respected brothers, listen to me. You are God's children, the brothers of Jesus Christ, heirs to his eternal kingdom, chosen portion of his inheritance. You are, in the words of St. Peter, a holy nation. You are kings, you are priests, you are in some way gods. So lift up your spirits that you, your defeated souls may breathe. Grovel no longer on the ground. Lift yourself towards heaven where your minds should be set. Let your eyes see for once beneath the rags that cover you. There is within you an immortal soul made in the image of God whom it is destined to possess one day. A soul ransom at the price of, at the, price of the blood of Jesus Christ, more precious in the eyes of God than all the riches, than all the kingdoms of the earth. A soul which he is more jealous a soul of which he is more jealous of the government of the entire universe. Christians, know then your dignity. Amazing. So he, he did a really good job of speaking to people where they were at. Like his whole thing uh, was, first we need to get men to act like human beings. Then we can make them Christians. And then we can make them saints. <laughs> That's... Great. Our culture seems to have gone completely the other direction. <laughs> I mean, we're not even human. <laughs> I mean, we yeah. act like humans. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things about him, when he was in Marseille as a bishop, he would go down to the fish market, and overnight the uh, fishermen would all be out fishing. Then they'd take the catch in early in the morning, and then their wives, the fishwives, would sell the fish. And the fishwives there had this very quick conversation style heavy with wit, uh, a little bit salty at times. And St. Eugene would go down there and he would talk with them. And he would keep up with their wit and the speed at which they mm -hmm. spoke. And he, could, he spoke kind of the same, uh, sometimes salty language with them. And he could keep up with them. And it really struck the leader of the fishwives, whose name was like Babo, had a nickname, was Babo, and it was, meant something like Man Crusher or something like that. So mm -hmm. she seemed like a really tough lady and he won her over, and uh, she kind of converted her life. She had a common-law husband, and, like, they got their marriage blessed by the church, and, like, and they started this, like, group of fishwives mm. that were trying to live a good Christian life. And at one point, uh, Bishop Eugene de Mesnot had brought Jesuits into his diocese of Marseille, and the government at one point said, okay, we're going to kick all the Jesuits out. We don't like them. And he's like, no, I invited them. They're going to stay. They're going to stay at my house. And the fishwives were like, yep, we're going to help you out. So they would like stand around his house at night <laughs> in case the government tried to like forcibly remove the Jesuits. <coughs> like that, that was the thing. Like he inspired such loyalty mm. in people. Mm. It's, it's uh, intriguing to me um, uh, be in this generation in which Pope Francis is moving in such a gesture that people notice, like they they can't that in a way, this is what I hear him keeping saying. Like if we are always inside the church, we're never going to get people in the church. We live in a way in which we have to go to the fish market, not to become the fishwives, but to become to live our humanity in a way in which they can recognize, you know, to be witty, to be like, uh, to be able to enter into that. And all of a sudden, like they begin to draw out into something more because I went to them, you know, I always have this, you know, smell like your sheep. Uh, well, that's a really brilliant way of articulating what he did. Uh, he, he learned their language in a way, um, as opposed to always thinking, 
because I was I was thinking earlier, you know, how many things do we do in the church and twenty people show up or five people show up? <laughs> like, why is that? You know, we could think we don't market well, or we need to like do whatever. Well, maybe it's because I'm not in anyone's life as the priest in a way that anybody knows me or thinks they should follow me or wants to be a part of my life. Uh, but if I would go in a way to where they are, monks, right? If you're not from Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls has a great little brew pub, monks, uh, and live in a way. Uh, now, maybe that's not my place, but I have my place at, I think of uh, Father Hagerty with the car show. That car show was incredible. Well, it comes out of his love, you know? And if you could go to the car show in Brandon or whatever, and he would be there doing just the same things as all the other people. But somehow in the midst of it all, there's like something more that happens from it. Uh, And so maybe it's not a fish market, but the gym. You know, I met somebody and they're like, oh, I know your brother. Uh, he, he used to throw kettlebells with me. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, though, in that the one thing I, I find that is the hardest for <clears throat> us is authentically realizing that it could look like a scandal to people. You know, I always think we clean up all of these things. But when Jesus had supper with a prostitute I'm not certain that she went home put on her nice dress you know combed her hair you know like made sure she looked presentable the fish market ladies weren't <laughs> changing who they were right away and so that that challenge I think the church feels like if I'm seen in this it's a scandal like what what mm. father came out of the log cabin bar like what, <laughs> what is he doing down there like, we could see him coming out of, you know, monks, but I can't see him coming out of, you know, Father was down at Morel's. Like, what was Father doing at Morel? You, you know, and I think this is, for me at least, the challenge is, when I really think about it, when I think about a real fish market, it's, it's not a very clean, sanitary, safe place to bring the gospel. And I think the church still wants it to be sanitized versus coming in and knowing that we're bringing the one who will sanitize it. Uh, I, I, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I guess I just always think about that, and I think, you know, what did all the other bishops think? Uh, of, he, you know? He was a polarizing figure. Like, some of them criticized him. Some of them eventually did recognize, you, know, you do things a little bit differently, but people really like you, and people really respect you. And So when it came to battling the government, because government and the church weren't, wasn't getting along at that time. And so a lot of the other bishops kind of turned to him to say, oh, we recognize that you have a bit of a leadership here, and so we'll defer to you when it comes to... Another thing St. Eugene said is, I'm not a bishop to write books. So he would, he would go on pastoral visits to like people's homes and stuff like that. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you, Alex, for sharing your life and for sharing this love you have for St. Eugene. Might he intercede for us? as we take a break. Legacy, a beer and wine experience. On Saturday, October 14th at the Ramcota Exhibit Hall from 6 to 9 p.m. is one of the region's best craft beer and wine events. Sample from more than 40 breweries and wineries and take home a commemorative sampling glass. Plus, bid on over 200 amazing auction packages. 
Get your tickets today at ccfesd.org or 605-988-3765. Legacy, a beer and wine experience. Benefits Broom Tree Retreat and Conference Center. Financial Benefits Company philosophy is to develop a secure retirement plan for our clients by striving to live up to the promise. Safe principle, positive return. John Fritch can be reached at 605-334-8086. Financial Benefits Company is a proud sponsor of Lamb Catholic Radio. We can't broadcast the good news without you. Go to lambradio.com and find out how you can be a part of Lamb Catholic Radio. One of the great ways that Discount Catholic Products has changed my life is that I have a much deeper connection to my Catholic faith and I have become more confident in my faith. Hi, this is Megan Dolly, owner of DiscountCatholicProducts.com here in Harrisburg, South Dakota, and I get to help people on their faith journey. I handle prayer cards, medals, books, and all kinds of sacramentals every day. And in doing that, I can't help but grow in my faith. And we want to help our customers do the same thing. Find us online at DiscountCatholicProducts.com. My name is Callie Stevens. I am a freshman at Mount Marty College and I am from Florence, Montana. And I am going into the nursing field with a background in parks and recreation. My early conversations with my freshman advisor, Sister Candy, started out with her talking to me about archery and how much I loved it. It's the first varsity program in South Dakota and I'm the first varsity archer in South Dakota. So she kind of used the line, you can make history this way. And that was pretty cool as an 18-year-old person. I know who wouldn't want to make history. What I like most about Yankton is being five minutes from the largest archery facility in the world. And I also love hunting. I am able to take my car and actually go hunting about 10 to 15 minutes from the school. I can go hiking. I can go swimming. I can pretty much do anything out here that I could back home in Montana. It's a lot like home, and that's what I love most about here.
And now back to the Rutten Brothers. Here's Welcome Joe Rutten. Welcome back to Rutten Radio. Father John Rutten, Father Paul Rutten, Alex High, layman extraordinaire. Alex just shared a great part of his heart, this love for St. Eugene Mezzanon. Uh, so it's French. So I've always assumed that you leave the D off and ah. it's Mezno. However, I have heard people speaking French say Mazenod. Ah. So I just stick to St. Eugene most of the time. And yeah, tomato, tomato. I normally say Mezno because that's what I've always kind of said. But Great. So we're going to come back to him just for a brief moment because we were just talking at the break how important it is. We see saints as these people who are like glowing and they don't ever say anything wrong and they don't say a bad word and they don't ever have a temper they are just like peaceful floating in the air and they bilocate but saint eugene was different yes he'd had temper and you speaking of saying a bad word one day during mass he was solemn liturgy he also he looks out of the corner of his eye he sees his best friend his vicar general his right hand man in the missionary oblates of mary immaculate sees him praying his breviary and he goes, Tampier, put your breviary away. Very quietly so no one would hear. He continues on with Mass. All of a sudden he looks over and he's still got it out. He says, a little bit more forcefully, but still very quiet. Tampier, please put your breviary away. Continues with Mass. Then a third time he catches him doing it. And he snaps. Smacks the breviary out of his hand. It goes skittering across the floor and goes, Tampier, what do you take me for? A piece of dog poop? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, he also had this amazing compassion. So one night he was in his study, and uh, he hears a knock on the door, and he goes, who is it? And uh, very timidly, this priest from his diocese said, it's me. And he, he goes, who told you I was here? Can't a bishop get a moment's peace? Very gruff. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, bishop, I'll, I'll leave. And he goes, no, 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 as long as you're here, you might as well stay. Let me finish what I'm doing, and then I'll call you in. So he, this young priest is standing in the hallway, probably shaking in his boots, and St. Eugene finishes what he's doing and calls him in, very gruff, enter. He comes in and he says, uh, he's talking about this ministry he had to youth and how it wasn't going well, he didn't have enough time for it, and he was thinking he should give it up to someone else. And he goes, my son, if you were in trouble, why didn't you come to me sooner? And uh, he embraces him, gives him a big hug. And the guy who was telling the story, the young priest, said, I felt his tears moisten my cheeks. And in those moments, you, you felt ready to lay down your life for him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is it. This is it. Somebody can be a wretch still in a certain way. We can have something that's still in need of being purified. And yet we carry with us the experience that causes someone to say, there's something else going on here. There's someone here that loves me. There's something moving in me. And this is the gift of the Christian, is to recognize this is Christ. This is the Spirit of God that has called us into his body. And this saint is carrying with him this movement. Someone is embraced by him in a way in which they're changed. And he still cussed <laughs> at it. So beautiful. Well, speaking of breveries, today is an important day for a man who made a comment about a breviary. Any guesses? Anybody out there know who I'm referring to? Feast day today? St. Francis? St. Francis, yes. You guys don't know what I'm going to say? 
He said at one time. He said to was Rufus his? Who was his companion? His uh, one of his. Anyway, he said to him. Uh, he took dust from the floor and put it on his head, and he said, "I am your bravery." <laughs> Do you guys, you guys don't know this? I don't think I know. Oh this man! Well, I was going to ask you a question about it. So okay. there goes that. I guess I threw up the ball and struck out. <laughs> so, um, well, speaking of Saint Francis. Um, what is your favorite part of the life of St. Francis? Do you guys know much about him? Everybody knows about St. Francis, right? Yeah, what do you I love about St. Francis on this great feast day? Either one. Uh, my favorite story about St. Francis is when he showed up, I forget where, but he showed up to some like sultan or whatever, and like to prove that the Christian God was the true God and the faith he should be following. He was like, I'll walk across these hot coals. My God will save me. And kind of like threw down the gauntlet and the guy, I think the sultan or whatever says, go away. I don't even want to deal with you. Because what does he do? Either he gets burned and then he's the guy who let the, this monk get burned. <laughs> or if he doesn't get burned, then he gets shown up. So he like sends him away just so he doesn't have to deal with either one of those scenarios. Mm. I also, what I, as, as a pastor, I, I draw uh, consolation from the fact that when Christ spoke to him from, from the cross to fix the church, he got it. He, he misunderstood. Uh, and so he went about trying to fix the church, the building, and Jesus was like, no, no, Francis, you don't understand. That wasn't the one I wanted. Mm. You know, and that, that ability, again, like, sometimes we think we're doing what God wants, and it's like, oh, that, oh, that wasn't what you wanted. You know, and we can get discouraged, but even... You know, St. Francis, Jesus spoke directly to him, and, and so he started doing something, and it wasn't necessarily exactly what he wanted. But Jesus was like, okay, well, now we can really do what, what we want. But that ability just to move, and so often we can wait until it's all, we got it all figured out, and then once we know exactly what we're going to, then we're going to execute. Francis is like, well, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, and so he starts doing it. Mm. Um, so that's. I love St. Clair. Mm. Uh, it's always intriguing to me that many times saints have a companion or have somebody else that sort of God gives them in a way. A lot of times it's a male or a female, not all the time, uh, um, I think. Uh, but this dynamic of we aren't in this alone and we don't become a saint on our own. Like it's not this isolated self-perfectionist experience. Uh, it's really one in which I recognize God is doing something and then I realize there's other people he's doing stuff to also, but like through me. And so this widening experience of you have St. Clair, you have St. Francis, you have their companions, this movement, and um, I think about them a lot, that uh, you have the gift of friendship and companionship in the life of the church is essential, vital. So. Well, here we are uh, at 20 minutes to 9, and we are going to announce... Next month, the logo. <laughs> <laughs> Next month, we're going to announce the logo for Rutten Radio. And I will let a little secret out that Alex High has been a cooperator in this grace. So, <laughs> we, so very loosely. Very loosely. But he is, he is uh, a recognition that sometimes we have abilities, but they all can't come to fruition. Even if it's a little bit, sometimes they're hung up. 
until that person like helps unhang it. So Alex High's helping us come up with the logo that we will have um, and the t-shirt design that we'll have. So that will come up the day after Halloween, right? I think All, uh, All Saints Day All will Saints be back Day. on the radio and brings us to Halloween. I know very good people who love Halloween, very good faithful Catholics that love Halloween and wear orange shirts. And I know very faithful Catholics who think Halloween is like off the wall and we shouldn't celebrate Halloween. So I'm curious in preparation for the next 30 days while every parent in the world tries to hide their child when they go into the grocery store. (laughs) What are your guys' thoughts about Halloween? I'm thinking about going as Jean-Luc Picard uh, from oh. Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh. Oh. What so, yeah. brought you to him? I started watching Next Generation uh, March-ish, and I had finished all seven seasons by, like, June-ish. So it, I went through mm. it pretty quickly. I hurt my back for a while, so I was kind of laying around the house with nothing to do, so I watched a lot of Star Trek Next Generation. And I, I love that show, um... They're, they're, they bring up a lot of, like, philosophical dilemmas and that don't really have a clear answer. And they do a nice job of, like, exploring both sides and not insulting either conservatives or liberals in there. Mm. So, yeah. So, yeah, I really like Halloween. And one year I dressed up as Batman and dressed my dog up as Robin. <laughs> and we went for a walk in the neighborhood, and it was kind of cool to see people react to that. <laughs> Love it. What do you typically do for Halloween? Do you let, do young people usually have parties and, or do you go to like a gathering or what, do you uh, stay depends, at home and hand out candy? Depends on the year. Uh, I've lived in an apartment the past few years, but now I live in a townhome. So I probably will get trick or treaters and I'm really excited to uh. hand out candy and stuff like that. Right. Awesome. Father? Uh, because it is All Saints Day, we'll have mass uh in the evening so all hallows eve is again where we get halloween uh so there is there's still a religious undertone to it um usually i go somewhere so i turn off the lights at the factory and then Mm. i go somewhere else for a halloween party uh just to hang out and and socialize um i've gone trick-or-treating before when we were at the newman center we used to do one where we'd collect canned goods so for the food bank, and uh, I went as Neo from The Matrix once because mm. um, <laughs> it was easy. I just put on a casting and called it good. Um, yeah. So I guess I, I, I understand where, where, I mean, I can see where, you know, some families are coming from, you know, with their concern about, you know, aspects of Halloween. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, last year I lived at St. Lambert and the rectory is right in the midst of an awesome neighborhood and there's lots of kids running around. So I uh, stayed at home because then you get to hand out candy. That's awesome. They come in, there was this stairwell, you know, this stairway. So all the kids would like come up the stairway and I'd think of like Mary, those pictures of Mary as a little girl going up the steps to the temple, you know, and the parents were always standing down on the bottom waiting for the kids. So hand out candy there. This year I'm in Harrisburg and the house is like, out in the middle of nowhere um so i don't know what i'll do for halloween but uh 
I one thing I remember about Halloween was always watching the History Channel. You know, right now at that time, you always get these interesting documentaries that you always kind of got to question the history. <laughs> you got to question the history of what's on the History Channel, <laughs> but it always was kind of intriguing to me, and it kind of reminds me of I watch, I listen to a podcast once in a while. Uh, stuff you. Catholic should, stuff you should know. Well, so the, there's the the other ver- the secular version okay. that I think po- spawned the Catholic version, and it just was intriguing to me. Like history is intriguing. There's there's really an amazing thing. Like we share a common humanity in a way that I can hear about something a hundred years ago or sixty years ago. You know, there was a great one about this massacre that happened in this house. Well, in this house. Why do I? Well, because this happens today, and we think like, oh my gosh, humanity's falling off the planet. I think things are getting worse. But like, two hundred years ago, there was like massacres. We just didn't have Facebook to put it on everybody's. Well, and to brain. think of what the French Revolution would have been like living it. You know, we, <laughs> well, we, you know, you think about this, and you look back over history. And we can look at all these revolutions and think, you know, we know it began here, and this is what started it. But when you were in the midst of it. It, it, I mean, yeah. so I think because we're unwilling to see and understand how history works, just to be able to say, well, you know, this is part of it, and, and we're, we're living in the midst of something, and it's probably not the end of the world, um, but what are we being called to do in the midst of this? Mm-hmm. You know, are we called to flee? Are we called to stay? Uh, what, what is Christ really calling us, you know, to be able to do uh, when, when I was on my sabbatical, we were talking about that uh, this morning. The the lady, Liz Lev, who gave us the tour, she said, remember, it took 320 years, you know, before Rome became Christianized or even began, you know, that that's a long time. <laughs> we want it yesterday. And so we think we can somehow re-Christianize this culture like that. Like, well, if we just get the right program, uh, we'll have it all fixed, and then we can... No, it's going to take, it's going to take a long time and we might not ever see it, but are we willing to do today what we need to do to be a part of it moving in the other direction? So they'll say one day, you know, Father John Rutten, he was, he was somebody that, that changed my life and, you know, that ability to be able to, to see that we're a little part of a bigger picture Mm -hmm. uh, without being overwhelmed by, you know, all of these circumstances. Yeah, and and when you look at history, uh, you see then if you look at history as just the facts for what they are, if we come trying not to like have an ideological lens every time I look at anything in the past, uh, it, to me the sort of the statue issue is really fascinating. That's happening right now in our country over the Confederates and things, and and it also brings up like the statues in Russia. So I had a really clear judgment on the statues of Russia. Of course you shouldn't have anything in Lenin in there and you should tear down these things or, or Saddam Hussein in Baghdad. or you know I had really clear, easy decisions there. And then in front of this country, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't agree with what they did, but if we tear down that statue, if we, like that was a human being that we need to understand the totality of what they were living so that we can understand what we're living. If we sort of just erase it all, we educate ourselves to something that isn't true so i'm like oh my gosh i'm like i'm i'm living so i can give up my ideology in a way to live in front of these facts and as i live in front of these facts i can say wow okay so 
Lenin did these terrible things. This led to this. This led to this. And then I can look. I was watching this exhibit on Russia and um, the Bolsheviks. And there was this subtle little commentary on one of them afterwards that basically was saying, it's not that we agreed with what Lenin did. We just didn't have anything. We didn't have another way. We didn't have another idea. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we were just like doing, I thought, wow, that's interesting. Like they really were still wrestling with similar things. They thought they were in front of something good, the consequences of it being terrible. And even if they knew the terribleness of it, they didn't have another idea. And I thought, that's like me as a pastor. I can be all kinds of mad at people who are doing bad things or not coming to church or doing these things. In the end, though, maybe the error is mine and then I haven't put another proposal in front of them to live something of nobility. I haven't given them that experience that draws them out of hopelessness, that helps a young person say there's meaning in my life. Well, why? Because I haven't gone to their house and eaten dinner with them before because I keep waiting for them to show up at church. <laughs> like maybe the person I met in the grocery store who hasn't been to Mass in six months needs me to enter their life in a certain way. But I think the challenge is not because, not because they need to come back to church, but because they need to meet Christ in a, in a way that is real at this moment. You know, mm-hmm. again... You think about it, I just keep thinking about, you know, the, the bishop being at the fish market. And how long did it take before, you know, and what was his ultimate goal? Was it to get, you know, everybody regularized, you know, what, or was it to really literally bring the gospel in a living way and then let them be free to do with it as they please? Like, how long would he go there if he wouldn't see any results? You know, I have one meal with a person if they're not in church on Sunday. Like, well, I tried. <laughs> You know, and they just didn't, you know, I mean, I think we, I think the part of our culture is so quick. If it doesn't happen now, like how many times would I go to a family's house and have supper with them and not see anything before I'd give up? I don't know. Thoughts? You were going to say something. Well, he, uh, he uh, was just asking a rhetorical question and for a second. I thought it was a. Uh actual question so oh. well respond to it as if it was actual. <laughs> so he's asking how many times would he go down to the fish market before they started converting and i i don't have an answer to that but it wasn't one time i know that it was several visits down there and again it was a little bit at a time you know it wasn't like all of a sudden oh wow uh however uh one time saint eugene did go out to this playground on the outskirts of town and watch these children playing and as they were about to leave, he walks up to him, starts talking to him, and then, like, within 15 minutes, he's got them on their knees praying. Oh. And then he starts a youth group with those boys, and mm. a youth group that continued on until he was a bishop, I believe. Yeah. It's lasted years. So th- this would be maybe a way to look at all of this, is we go out to share the gospel, but we can't determine where faith enters in. We can just tend to it where it does. And so because it entered in here, he goes out with this open desire. It enters here, so he tends to these students. Uh, It reminds me of a friend right now I have, and he is in another diocese. But within like a month of being a priest, he ran into this 
a couple of students and then was having this conversation with them and then their friends. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, would you guys ever want to play uh, kickball or something? And then so they played a kickball and he was like, hey, would you guys ever want to go get ice cream? And, oh, let's go get ice cream. Hey, would you guys want to ever uh, get together again and talk about the faith? Oh, yeah, Father, we'd love to do that. Well, the next time they got together, there's like, there's like 25 high school students that all like are sharing their life with this priest within a month. But it didn't happen because they were in a church. It happened because he ran into them in a way in which they responded, and then he just tended to that. How come he isn't with older people doing a Bible study? Well, because that isn't where God wanted to move there. But maybe another priest starts a Bible study and 50 people show up out of nowhere, and he's like, wait a minute, what are you all here for? And the next week, they all show up again. Uh, And so he tends to that. So we bring the gospel, not because we know where it's going to happen, but where it does happen, then we say, here we go. So, um, last parting words. We got a couple of minutes, right? I'm kind of like the TV mask guy, like you talked about. You know, you got to fill up a certain sure, amount of no. time. I'm not used to doing nope, that. No, that's so right. Here uh, we are with the dead space. Nope, <laughs> Sorry, everybody and listening. I, and I will make out the quick plug. Uh, Tonight we are fortunate at our parish to begin our Faith in Real Life series, which we've talked about before. And Jeff Cavins is coming uh, to our parish uh, to share his his story. Um, And again, you know, Father John always talks about being able to make the connections and you know all these things to see the divine providence and to be on the feast of Saint Francis of Assisi, which is you know Bishop Dudley's. You know, favorite saint was St. Francis. His pectoral cross was the Cross of San Damiano uh, and is part of Jeff Gavin's conversion uh, is Bishop Dudley himself. And mm. So to be able to see all these those connections come together, uh, I still can't believe that <laughs> he's coming all the way from Minneapolis to give us a 45-minute talk on his conversion. But it'll be exciting for our parish as well uh, and whoever shows up. Uh, to be able to spend time together. I think, again, just that community uh, for people to just fellowship and uh, all of that. So that's what I head home to uh, tonight. Um, No real major (laughs) parting words for me. Uh, Check out the Facebook page for St. Eugene. Eugene Dimisno, a saint for today. Also, check out epicpew.com. I do some writing there. I post about once every four weeks there. I need to write one today, I think, because I have one due for next Wednesday. So, mm. Great. I put the Saint for the Day, St. Eugene, on my Facebook page, so anybody listening can go there. I'll try and do the other one, too. Uh, speaking of Jeff Cavins, speaking of Bishop Dudley, in my move the other day, I picked up a frame, and the back fell out of it. Um, so the glass and everything fell and it was a picture of Bishop Dudley with Mother Angelica on their show which is a whole miraculous story (laughs) why I ended up with this picture in the back of the picture I had stored a little note card from a man by the name of Les Froke oh Mr. Froke our neighbor who had words of great wisdom and he said John Find time some evening before sleep comes to look back into the past. Relive happy times, then look to the future. There's much yet to come. Thanks for sharing your time and ideas. Less.
Alex, hi. Thank you for sharing your time and ideas. Thanks for having me. Shall we pray? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for your love and for your many blessings, especially for the precious gift of each other. Help us to show our gratitude by loving each other as you love us. Make us understanding and patient with one another, quick to admit our failings and ask forgiveness, generous in sharing the joy and strength you can give each other. Father, give our family lively faith and the courage to share with those around us. Direct us to the state and life you plan for each of us, and help us to use your gifts to serve you. We entrust our family to your fatherly care, preserve us from the corruption of the modern world, and help us draw closer daily to you and to each other until we come to share with you the joys of heaven. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, help us to be a holy family. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Rutten Radio live on the Lamb Catholic Radio Network. Brought to you in part by DiscountCatholicProducts.com, your one-stop online shopping experience for the Catholic community. And Mount Marty College, preparing tomorrow's leaders in the Catholic Benedictine tradition. Be sure to tune in next month for more Rutten Radio.